0: I wasn't particularly interested in all those formulas. I was more interested in the playground, ETH, you know, they're all the machines and the computers and it's a phenomenal playground.
1: We're delighted today to have Martin Bozhart as our guest. Martin Boshardt is the CEO of Anapaya Systems, based in Zurich, ETH alumni. And we're delighted to have him as our guest as we go through the stories of ETH and maybe Martin just to start I'd love to ask how did you ever come to attend the ETH I'm sure there's a story there so can you share it with us
0: Yeah thank you for the question I mean ETH for me was was very much like uh, destiny because I was I was very much into disassembling radius and, and, and all kind of equipment, but usually I wasn't really capable then to, to put it together again. So I asked my parents, what do I need to learn to build these kind of machines, to build a radio or Mm -hmm. telephone or? And they said, well, we have this neighbor, you should talk to him. He's really doing exactly that. And that was Professor Dr. Epprecht. And he happened to be a professor for electrical engineering at ETH. Mm-hmm. So, then I got a meeting with Professor Epprich. It felt very formal for me. You know, it was a meeting, and I, I had to, <laughs> to go to his home. I was really nervous, and then I, he served some tea. And, very uh, polite. And then I asked him, "What, you know, what do I need to do uh, to learn that? And then he said, well, that's a very simple question and a very simple answer. You have to study electrical engineering at ETH. And uh, that really engraved in my brain. So, then... <laughs> It was clear I have to study electrical engineering at ETH.
1: Did that mean that you had to study harder? Did that mean you did different activities? Did that change your life somehow?
0: Well, you know, I wasn't, a, I wasn't really a good student. So, I mean, for me, it was really hard to get to that goal. I mean, I was in a way, talented in mathematics and everything in in a way that is related to mathematics. But I was really, really not good in languages. So I I had a hard time to really manage school to that level. And then when I joined ETH, it was really tough because everybody was was then good in mathematics. And obviously, you can learn this kind of stuff, but you have to put a lot of effort in and, uh, I wasn't particularly interested in all those formulas. I was more interested in the playground, Etehao, you know, they're all the machines and the computers. And it's a phenomenal playground. It was a phenomenal playground for me, uh, ETH. So, so not easy to, to stay in the school.
1: <laughs> so when you say a playground, what exactly do you mean? Because I have like one clear definition of a playground, but I bet it's different than yours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Uh, yeah, you're right. The playgrounds are very different to different people. So, uh, you know, for example, there was a workshop you could uh, use when you are a student at uh, uh, ATR, a workshop where you could do... All kind of things. So I, I was, for example, uh, very much into a project where I tried to build a floating lamp, like a magnetic floating lamp. And then I spent like days in this workshop to build this kind of uh, device. And obviously, that's not exactly related to to mathematics. So I really had to do several of the exams twice. But it was. Everywhere at the ETH, you could talk to people uh, doing exciting stuff. I think this is really something that was helping me also to find my passion. You know, what what do you really want to do in life? Because there are so many options presented to students at the ETH. And then, in a way, you can go so many different routes, but uh, it's all there. You can pick from all that's exciting, right?
1: And you chose to get a master's, right? At the end of your AT time, and but you did that overseas.
0: Yes, I, I was aiming for a master's, and I was very much into control systems. And then I had the opportunity to to do the master thesis in in Japan. So that was also another very exciting aspect that AT Suddenly, you had access to international people, people coming from all over the world. And you you met these people really at the cafeteria to talk, and suddenly you had access to people coming from the States or from Asia. And that was obviously for me very, very exciting, especially at that time we didn't have internet, you know. I mean, you you were born in Switzerland, and then you were sort of born in Switzerland. And at ETIA, suddenly the whole world was accessible. Was
1: your playground. Yeah,
0: right. (laughs)
1: So, if I understand correctly, I I was reading that you built a scanning tunneling microscope that could look at atoms. What what does that actually mean?
0: At that time in Ruchlikon, there was the Nobel Prize for this. They were able to, first time in, in, in the history of mankind, to make atoms actually visible, which is in a way crazy you know how can you make a device that looks at the smallest parts that's in a way very fascinating and has a lot to do with control systems because you need to control a needle very closely to the surface of atoms so then that allows you to to really make atoms visible and we build one of those devices in japan and then we use that device to control a needle on the tip of an atom to uh, really stabilize a device on atom level, which is, in a way… That's crazy. It's crazy, and it was really (laughs) cool for us because, you know, it was hard to make those atoms visible, and then you work, like, two months or even more, day and night, and the day, I remember the day when we suddenly saw these atoms. This is like landing on the moon then, obviously.
1: That's a very cool image. And then after you finished your master's, and if I understand correctly, you went to ABB, and they said, how quickly can you pack your suitcase?
0: Yeah, that was the reason why <laughs> I really liked to go to ABB, because I knew they sent p- relatively young engineers already overseas. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, engineering is like a profession that really works globally. The law of physics are, are global laws, even, even bigger. That's why I really wanted to work with the... Uh, company that sends people abroad. And ABB did that. And then I I managed to get a position at ABB as a commissioning engineer for power plants. And I knew that they were going to send me at some point overseas. And I was hoping fast, but I wasn't expecting that fast, actually. So, so it was really like, can you go? And then <laughs> I, I think I had one week time to pack Uh, So it was really fast. In a way, that was a great experience to be then uh, really on site and build these huge machines. Yeah.
1: So tell me about what that project was, that first project.
0: I was a commissioning engineer on combined cycle power plants. Combined cycle power plants are basically gas turbines, and then you use the exhaust of a gas turbine to heat up. A, boiler water, and then use the steam to turn a steam engine again. and that allows you to produce electricity of fossil energy with a very, very high efficiency mm-hmm. level. So these machines produced like one gigawatt of power.
1: That's a lot.
0: so it's a really it is a really big machine. So we were, at some point we were three thousand five hundred people on site. Wow. Uh, at the same time it's really like a, a small city building uh, building a, a project like that and for me that was very fascinating that you can bring people together and basically nobody really is capable to understand all the details of the entire project in all levels mm-hmm. but you can slice such a project in, in specific uh, sub-projects and sub-challenges and then at the end assemble it again and that's basically what engineering is all about you you know you slice complex projects into manageable smaller projects and uh, assemble it later again and that was in a way the fascinating part for me how is it possible that so many people can build together over i think we had 16 months time to bring it on grid and it really was on grid exactly on the day when it was planned so that that was very, very exciting uh, for me to see what engineering can do.
1: Could you explain to me, what is a commissioning engineer? Because I'm afraid I'm not an engineer, so I, I just don't know.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very good question. I'm sorry I didn't explain <laughs> that before. Uh, commissioning, ba- basically, you uh, when you build a power plant, you bring all the subsystems on site and then you install mm-hmm. them, but then they need to work together and you need to start each system and then coordinate and make sure that all these systems then work together. So that's what a, a commissioning engineer is doing. You, you start up a power plant. And to give you an idea of the size, I mean, we, we managed something like 10,000 sensor signals and about uh, 200 subsystems. And we had like, I think five uh, main streams to run the machine. So these automated streams, then they were coordinating those 200 subsystems and produce finally then the whole machine to work as a, as a power plant.
1: So after your time at ABB, and this was in Malaysia, is that right?
0: Right. First one was in Malaysia. Second one was then in, in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. I, I understood also that. You know, when we optimized those machines, basically we we did recordings of the controllers and sent them back to Switzerland, and then the engineers in Switzerland uh, analyzed those data and sent us over the internet new controller data and then we could optimize the machine sort of overnight and that was really i think uh, a key experience for me to see okay i believe internet is going to be big that you can optimize overnight in another country on the other side of the world a power plant and then just load data into a power plant controller and then you have like seven or ten megawatt more power just like that 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 was in a way, an exciting demonstration of the power of Internet.
1: So you decided to leave your wonderful job, which I'm sure paid you very well at ABB, and join a web company, a web agency?
0: Right, yeah. It was a friend, actually. He was building uh, an Internet company for Young and Rubicum, and then he asked me whether I would like to join sort of as a project manager, because... uh, Mm -hmm. The first internet agencies were very much driven out of the advertising industry, and advertising at that time was not very complex from a technical project management perspective. And then, with the internet communication, the the technical project management capability became more important. So he he thought, mm-hmm. well, if you can uh, help running a, a a power plant, that's probably also great for websites. And. <laughs> for, for, for me, it was it was, sure it I was, see it the was
1: connection d- between the two of
0: those. But okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it w- <laughs> was definitely diverse. These were much smaller projects, but the concepts were the same, right? So you okay. Had to, you had to bring together like knowledge of communication, designers, uh, programmers, and database guys, and so it was already much more complex than let's say uh, a TV spot or something.
1: Did you know your friend from the ETH?
0: No, actually, before that, and then during the the time when I was uh, with Futurecom, that was the company we we built websites. I had a contract on the desk for a company called Open Systems. Mm. The name of the guy sounded familiar, and then I realized, "Hey, this is this is Florian I met at AT ATH. Right. He was one of the guy giving me access to one of those wonderful machines, communication so he was machines. was playground. That was the he. I knew him from the playground <laughs> time, and then we built websites for him. It was then also later that he asked me whether I would join. Open Systems as a as a CEO uh, right after the dot com collapse.
1: Ah, so this is like two thousand one, two thousand two. That
0: was the, yeah. That was.
1: I remember that nuclear freeze time.
0: Yeah, that's a good term, <laughs> nuclear freeze time. <laughs> it,
1: was, it wasn't the best of time. So, talk about your uh, experience at at uh, Open Systems, and it also seemed like at Open Systems, you kept a pretty tight relationship with the ETH.
0: That's right. I think ETH was always an inspiration, and he was always very important also in terms of talents. We had a lot of close projects together with ETH uh, in terms of uh, innovation projects for networking, for network security, and that also then allowed us to be in close contact with great talents uh, at ETH and some of them also then decide, okay, I want to take this further and then joined the company. And I think ETH is just a magnet for talents on a global scale. I think this became even more the case now in the, in the last couple of years. It's It really is a global magnet.
1: So, you connected with the CEO, the founder through the ETH. You hired people from the ETH. Sounds like you also did some research or at least supported research. So you'd try and get a step ahead of where the sector was going. Um, it sounds like ETH was a, a really important partner across that time at Open Systems.
0: I think ETH for me is very, very important and I think it is for many people. It's a magnet for a lot of things, for innovation, for people, for new ideas, also for startup companies, also for research for large companies. Uh, I think we cannot overestimate uh, the power of, of this ecosystem uh, ETH is building here in, in Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So can you talk about the current company where you're at? And how did you, what was your story in terms of connecting with them?
0: You know, all the dots, they always connect, right? The older you get, <laughs> the more do. they it's connect, It's a very right? small world. <laughs> it's true. So w- during the time at Open Systems, we did research project uh, with ATH uh, and also some projects with Professor Perik. And Professor Perik, he was uh, doing research on, on how to improve internet and in 2012 he started to develop the new sign protocol. Scion is a protocol that really helps to improve or or basically secure today's internet. Today's internet has its roots in the 80s and is definitely mm-hmm. not designed of uh, what it is doing today so that's also why we have this kind of quite severe outages like we just experienced with Facebook or or others, I mean, also all the denial of service attacks. So that was a big field, also very interesting for open systems. And then huh. when I left open systems and just joined the board, I, I handed over all my operational duties. So I had some time and then he approached me whether I would like to join Anapaya. Anapaya is a startup spin-off company of ETH bringing the sign protocol into the market.
1: Right now I think of protocols and I think of IP protocol. Does it replace it or is it sort of the next generation or how does this interact?
0: Uh, In the 80s, there were many IP networks and then there was really the question, how can you connect those IP networks to one over network, the Mm inter-network? The magic is the, the border gateway protocol. So that's the protocol that stitches all those networks together, the BGP protocol. That's developed in the eighties and it's, it's quite fascinating how scalable this was designed and it still is, it's working amazingly. Uh, it was never designed for that. Right. And, and that's also why it's a little scary and a little dangerous in a way. We put a lot of very critical infrastructure on the internet. The, the fundamental protocol is this BGP protocol, which is very easy to attack and very easy to mismanipulate. So cyan is basically replacing BGP, and so it's it's not like replacing the internet it's just upgrading the internet the infrastructure as we know it so that's also why i'm, I'm very sure this is going to be a success because it's not like 5g where you have to build new antennas and stuff so it's just really like a small upgrade
1: so it's like when apple upgrades my phone operating system overnight and i don't even notice it that that kind of upgrade
0: Basically, yes, because also if Apple upgrades your iPhone, it's quite, it's quite something in the back that's happening. It, and, and it's, yeah, it's very comparable. You have to upgrade a couple of routers, but there are actually many.
1: <laughs> Martin, when you talk about engineers, I had the feeling that uh, engineers are the, the secret to the future and that instead of studying the history of science, I should have really tried to study to be an engineer back when I was in college. Why do you think being an engineer is so critical? And if you had the choice, it sounds like you would be an engineer again, but is that right?
0: I just think that many people probably, if they would know a bit more about what engineering is about, they would find their passion in engineering because you can really do a lot. First, engineering is, is using the law of physics and these laws are just Globally, and I mean, you can change the world. I mean, if, if you think how the, the world changed over the last 10, 20 years, it's mainly based on engineering uh, concepts.
1: So if you were to give advice to someone who's just starting off to either in their career or picking their major in college, what would you advise? Computer science? Engineering?
0: Huh. The the very first title, I would say, Follow Your Passion. Okay, good. This is really, I think, the most important thing.
1: Martin, leadership today is a challenging thing, right? The world changes really fast. Technology changes really fast. Geopolitics are nothing if not complicated. So as a CEO of Open Systems, and now the CEO for Anapaya Systems, What what are the key qualities that a leader needs today, or key areas that they need to really understand at a deep level?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. I think that you know there's a lot a lot about leadership written, and uh, you can learn a lot about leadership. And I think what probably fundamentally changed in the in the last couple of years that. You really need to understand at some point, especially if you are in in the tech industry, that you need to understand, in a way, the fundamentals of your product and the fundamentals of what the company is doing. And I think that's also a reason why we see a lot of engineers leading companies. I believe maybe 10 or 20 years ago, if you understood the business fundamentals very well, it probably was... In many cases, sufficient, and I would say, especially if it's changing so fast as we see today, right now, where technology mostly are the, the changing factors uh, of innovation and uh, new business models, I believe this is really became very, very important. And let's say a couple of years ago, I hear a lot like, "Yeah, this is this is very technical. Uh, maybe you should t- talk to the, the IT department somewhere," you know. And I think that changed
1: um you mentioned your time at Etihad as when you were an undergrad. is there any particular place that you'd like to tell
0: about yeah the most important uh place for me was the cafeteria hmm. I think it's one of the most inspiring places uh at the and also I met my wife there so
1: oh in the cafeteria in the cafeteria That's cool.
0: so so in a way it's 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 definitely i think the most important place at the for me yeah <laughs>
1: So, Martin, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for joining us today in our ETH conversation. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series. Please join us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd like to thank and to credit our producers at the ETH Circle and Ellie Media. Take care and stay safe.